Welcome to CBT Talks. Today, we're going to talk all about abortion. Absolutely. We are going to talk about one of the hot button issues in today's culture because we need to have a framework and tools on how to approach this story, appropriating faith from scripture. So uh, we're going to talk about abortion. All right. Stay tuned. Abortion. Okay, let's talk about abortion. Let's let's go through it. You know, when we're when we're discussing abortion, you know, one of the first things that uh, that Christians do is they go to uh, what's known as proof verses. And what I mean by that is is singular verses that seem to clearly indicate that abortion is is wrong or immoral. And so, even if you don't know anything else uh, about the issue, about what the Bible says, if you have these proof verses. You can kind of stand on those verses and be like, I know that this is wrong because of this one particular verse. Yeah, and uh, so as we uh, talk about those proof verses, the first one is Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That's right. And, and this verse... It's, it's very clear, mainly because it, it simply is describing God saying that uh, when he forms someone in the womb, that is him doing it. And he refers to that person as a person. Therefore, they are uh, alive. And if he knows them and consecrates them, they seem to be a, a human life. So it's a really basic proof verse in, in Jeremiah 1.5. And there's some people that they don't know anything else about, about the issue, but they're like, I know that it says that before they're born, God is forming them in the womb. Therefore, uh, abortion must be wrong because they're a person. Yeah. And, um, and just to see the, the providence of God there, uh, we can pull this out as a proof text, uh, be, uh, you know, serving our knowledge of abortion because mm-hmm. it teaches us about the character of God. God, God is uh, aware and keenly aware and personally involved uh, mm-hmm. in our lives in the womb. And so that, that teaches us about uh, who we are and, and who He is. Yeah. But as we look at the story of the Bible, uh, this truth about God uh, would have given Jeremiah a lot of comfort as he spent that time in the well, in the muck, and mm-hmm. in the mire, um, uh, getting depressed, writing the book of Lamentations. Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons uh, in chapter 3 of Lamentations, he says, my depression gives me hope, is because he had a full assurance of the character of God, that that nothing that was happening in his life mm-hmm. was surprising to God. Yeah. And if, if you don't know that Jeremiah, who is a prophet of the Lord, went through huge bouts and periods of depression, uh, well, it's probably because uh, no one has ever told you had to know the, the full story of the Bible. But in his depressed state, what brought him comfort was the fact that he knew that he wasn't a mistake, his life wasn't a mistake. God knew him uh, even before he formed him in the womb. The yeah. second proof text that we can uh, turn to is Hosea uh, 12.3. Hosea 12.3 says this, In the womb he supplanted his brother, and as a man he contended with God. Oh, he's definitely talking about Jacob and, right. uh, and Esau. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is amazing because uh, you have uh, Rebecca who is, who is struggling. These, these twins are... Um, or just giving her trouble in her mm-hmm. womb. She was probably a lot like your wife, who was pregnant with twins. Mm-hmm. Thought thought it'd be a good. Uh, yeah, and they also contend with each other and fight all the time. And I'm sure that that fighting of your uh, children in the womb, or uh, that that fighting doesn't affect your life at all. Well, it certainly affects uh, my wife, and like they say, happy wife, happy life. So unhappy wife, well, you you get the picture. Uh, but what? But the cool thing about this this verse is that you know it it's it's God also uh, giving agency uh, to someone even when they're still in the womb. It's not that they're uh, they are a a form of sales waiting to become a person who's capable of of choice even in the womb. Uh, You have this idea that God has given that person agency, a a soul, 
whatever you want to call it, they are fully endowed as a moral character. An identity. God sees, well, Rebecca is struggling, and so Mm -hmm. she inquires of God about what is happening inside of her. And God says, there are two nations Mm -hmm. in your womb, and the older will serve the younger. And Mm -hmm. so uh, this is a, a really... Really neat verse and a really neat story that teaches us about the character of God. Before uh, these two were born, uh, God made a sovereign choice uh, according to his, uh, his, his election that Jacob, the younger brother, not Esau, the older brother, would inherit the seed of promise and be grafted into the lineage, the bloodline lineage of the Messiah. That's right. So as we look at unborn babies, we can also go to Psalm uh, 139, verse 13 and 15. It says, You knit me in my mother's womb, nor was my frame unknown to you when I was made in secret. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, my oldest daughter knits, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it is a fascinating process. I mean, she is so good. She just, I mean, her hands look like they're doing this. I think mm-hmm. I'm watching The Matrix Uh, you know, half the time. So I don't know what that has to do with this verse, but I thought of it. But the idea, the idea though, that that God, God is not waiting to see what becomes of us from conception. Mm -hmm. That God is creator and Mm -hmm. and God is establishing uh, that agency and that identity. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Paul would later say, everything we have is from God. Um, we are completely dependent on God for life and breath and all things. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, it says that you knew my frame, right, mm-hmm. when you made me in secret. And, and that idea of knitting is, is this. You can't just start to knit randomly and just, uh, just be curious as to what comes out. It, it's impossible to do unless you have a framework, unless you have an idea of what you're trying to create. And so one of the ideas behind this passage is it's not only that God knows uh, his creation from conception, and not only uh, does he ascribe to these people agency as, as moral characters, give them an identity, but also the idea that he's the one knitting them together, what that tells us is there are no mistakes and, and there's no one who should think that God messed up this process or made a mistake while knitting them together. Certainly, some people are, are born with, with difficulties. There is death and disease in this fallen world. But it is so wrong and callous to say that something that the, the Lord knit together after knowing that person's frame was somehow uh, a, a mistake. Um, and so, you know, not to get too uh, too, too passionate. I, I know we'll we'll get even more passionate as, as we go on, but just right off the bat, anytime uh, someone even suggests that someone else could be a mistake, uh, you know, we can just point to this verse and say, no, no one is a mistake. God has designed us each individually, and He does not make mistakes. Yeah, and I also think that uh, we all know that that some conception is the result of sin. Mm-hmm. And a great example of that uh, is David with Bathsheba. Um, and of course, their first baby dies, uh, but mm-hmm. their, uh, their son Solomon, uh, God looks on with pleasure and grafts Solomon into the seed of promise. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, you know, although we all know that some conception happens uh, as a result of sin, um, uh, life is important to God. Mm-hmm. So the, even, even uh, uh, life conceived in sin, uh, God is the designer and the author of giving that life uh, meaning, which mm-hmm. he intends for good. Um, and even if we don't understand that, even if that is mm-hmm. a difficult concept to explain, you know, at, at CBT, uh, as we read through the Bible over and over, we become convinced of the character and the nature of God, that God is good and his word is true. And so when we read uh, passages in Scripture that, that sometimes don't make sense in our broken uh, culture, mm-hmm. um, can we or are we willing to simply trust that God says this about himself? Mm-hmm. What God says about himself is that he knits us in the womb and yep. he uh, forms 
uh, our frame. Um, so he knows our frame. Mm -hmm. And actually what we believe is happening in secret, uh, he, he is fully aware of. Yeah. Uh, the, the next proof verse that we can go to, a famous one, is Psalm 22, uh, starting in verse 10. It says, You have been my guide since I was formed. From my mother's womb, you are my God. So once again, this is just a, another verse that's just reaffirming that from conception, uh, from that first formation of the womb, uh, not only is God knitting together uh, something, but this something he's knitting together seems to have agency, seems to have a soul. It is a full person because they're able to act. It's not that God is weaving together uh, a frame and then at the moment of birth, then the soul is like implanted into it. That's simply not the teaching uh, of Scripture. And uh, just for the, the sake of time, if we move on to that last proof verse, uh, it's Galatians 1, uh, verse 15. Galatians 1, 15 says this, God from my mother's womb had set me apart and called me through his grace. So not only do uh, people upon conception have identity, have uh, moral agency, uh, but also says that God is interacting with these people from the moment of conception. God does not wait uh, until after birth uh, to act. Uh, and so those are just some, some really famous proof verses where if people don't have a, a great foundation of the big story of the Bible, they can cling to those verses and just say that, you know, I, I believe abortion is wrong because of these proof verses. But if we really want to understand the character of God, it is important for us to understand God's full revelation about, uh, about abortion. And so one way that we can do that is to kind of step back away from these proof verses and instead say, well, what are the proof stories? What are the big stories of the Bible where God reveals his character? And because of what he has revealed about himself, we conclude that abortion must be an affront, must be sinful in his eyes. Um, and I think one of the, the first things that we can focus on are the stories of Scripture uh, that deal with bearing children, God's uh, explanation of what it means to bear children. And so the first kind of story that I'd like to dive in and explain is it's the story of the, the Tower of Babel. Um, you know, the, the story of the Tower of Babel, is a, it's a pretty simple story. When I say simple, I mean that it's usually taught at a very young age. Uh, we just leave out a lot of the important details. Honestly, this is usually the, the kiddie version that, that we teach people growing up. We say, well, you know, all the people gathered together and they made a really tall tower. Um, usually they'll say because they were trying to get to heaven or something. And then God <laughs> was like, no, that tower's too tall. And so he knocked down the tower and then all the people, you know, went their separate ways. That's kind of the super kiddie, watered down, if you're teaching to four-year-old version. And Really, the, the problem with that explanation is it never explains why God found this tower that they were gathering together to build an affront to him. Why this was wrong? Why did he strike down the tower and scatter the people? Well, in order to understand this, you, you have to go right back to the beginning of Genesis and see what has God commanded the human race to do from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, when he looked at Adam and Eve, he gave them a command. That command was to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth. You see that same exact command. Uh, after Noah's flood, he gives them a command, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The, the reason why murder is, is so wrong, uh, one of the reasons why murder is so wrong is in that Cain and Abel story, what did Cain do to Abel? He stopped Abel from being able to fruit, be fruitful, multiply, and, and fill the earth. That, that primary command directive that God had given humanity as, as stewards of his creation, uh, as you know, masters of this, of this domain, uh, was to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so when we are not being fruitful, when we are not multiplying, when we are willfully not filling the earth, he, he calls that sin. So he, he gives this command, he gives this command. After Noah's flood, all the people, instead of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the entire earth, it says that they gathered into one place, one city, and they built one tower as one people group. And God looked at this and said, you know what they're not doing? They're not being fruitful. They're not multiplying. They're, they're not filling the earth. 
So he struck down the tower. He confused their languages. He scattered the people. You can see that God takes the, the command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth very, very seriously. And so when, one way to look at abortion is, well, this is God crafting and forming a human life. It says that, that, that a newborn is, is a, a gift from God. And we are taking that gift and we are rejecting it. We're also rejecting his command to be fruitful, to multiply, and fill the earth. And so that, that's just a, another way of these, these stories that people don't often think have anything to do with abortion. Reveal something about God's character and then teach us about his moral in, in our lives today. Yeah, and so what, what I guess we're, we're demonstrating is one way to appropriate truth from God's Word to answer the question, the moral question of abortion, is to get take a list of proof verses. So we gave some examples of that. This uh, is another way. Draw a story out of Scripture um, and, uh, and then take the truths from those stories and apply them to the moral uh, situation. Um, or, or the problem, or the question. It doesn't have to be abortion, it can be anything. Um, but I, I love, love what you just said, and the story of Tower of Babel shows uh, that man's will was, as sinners, contrary to God's will. God's desire from the beginning was to dwell with his image bearers, and his design, his, his desire, was that his image bearers fill the earth, reflect his glory. Mm -hmm. Another uh, 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 story uh, mm -hmm. that we could draw upon to understand what is happening in our culture as it concerns abortion um, is, is Abraham's journey, and uh, specifically in Genesis chapter 17 when God commands Abram, uh, Abraham, uh, because he changes his name at that point, to uh, be circumcised. And not only Abraham, but all of the uh, men of his household and all future males uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, of his descendants. It was an everlasting sign of the promise that God made to establish them as a nation. Mm -hmm. So, uh, before though we get into the significance of, of why God told uh, Abraham that circumcision was going to be the sign of this covenant, we need to understand what Malachi chapter 2 says. Uh, uh, way after Abraham is, is gone and the nation has been established, uh, Malachi in chapter 2 beginning in verse 14 says that God has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Then he asked a question, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? And here it is. He, God, seeks godly offspring. Mm -hmm. And so we, we find out that, that God's design for marriage is really a design for godly offspring. And, uh, and so obviously abortion uh, rejects that design. Mm -hmm. But there's something really neat because in, in some areas of this issue, abortion has risen out of our desire to make sex a transaction mm -hmm. instead of a covenant ceremony between a man and wife. Um, and so we've done all kinds of things in our culture to make sure that sex can be a transaction with no consequences. And we're fooling ourselves because there's always consequences and devastating destruction from sin. But uh, when God told Abraham to be circumcised, we have to consider where this, the sign of that covenant was placed, right? Mm -hmm. It was placed in a very specific spot. And here's why. Because... Uh, God intended for seed to go into one place. Mm -hmm. God did not intend seed uh, to be a part of a sexual transaction for pleasure. Seed doesn't belong in the mouth. It doesn't belong in the rear. It belongs in one place. Mm -hmm. And so God placed the sign of the covenant, circumcision, where, uh, where he placed it because his desire was not that sex be turned into a free-for-all pleasure uh, mm -hmm. extravaganza. His desire was godly offspring, and his desire has always been godly offspring. 
So when God promised to multiply Abraham's descendants, uh, as many as the sea, uh, the, the, the sand on the seashore, and the stars in the sky, mm-hmm. God placed the sign of that covenant on the one spot where man and woman would remember. Mm-hmm. God desires godly offspring. Then later in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says, These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Mm -hmm. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Mm-hmm. The, the the point is very simply as we as we just pull out that story of Abraham, uh, abortion is an affront to God because it it thwarts His purpose and His desire for godly children. Mm-hmm. And you know I, I think that that kind of brings us to that next kind of major section uh, talking about uh, abortion, and that's this. Sometimes we even forget that abortion is not only a sin against God because of the uh, the killing uh, of the child. Uh, it's also an affront against God because what we often see in the case of abortion is actually the, the women themselves, to a certain extent, being victims uh, in this scenario. And one thing that I did not appreciate uh, until I really started reading the, the full story of the Bible is how much God cares about protecting women. And mm. what I mean by that is it seems like I, if, if you if you want to witness a, a miracle in the Bible, if you see a woman in distress crying out to God, you just know he's about to act. He's going to send an angel. That's that's what he does over and over when there's a any woman who's in what appears to be a, a helpless uh, state where she doesn't know where to go, she doesn't know where to turn, God answers. God is in the business of, of protecting and caring for women. And because I know specifically that you have a, a thread actually concerning this, I, I'm actually just going gonna, gonna to sit back and I'm going <laughs> to let you pull that thread about God protecting and caring for women. Good deal, and I'm going to do this very quickly. But, you know, all throughout Scripture we see about God that He is a defender of those who cannot defend themselves. And mm-hmm. in the law, uh, God demands that orphans and widows and strangers and foreigners, um, the, the poor, are cared for, and He makes provisions for them. But uh, God, God is, is a defender of women who cannot protect themselves. And, and, and we remember in Eve's story, uh, Eve is devastated by Cain's sin. Uh, Abel uh, is, is dead. And, uh, and, and, and so God replaces Abel with Seth. And Eve exclaims, you know, God has given me another son. Mm-hmm. It's not the first time, though, God gave her hope after devastation. First mm-hmm. time God gave Eve hope after her devastation was after she sinned against mm-hmm. God uh, with Adam, with her husband, and ate the fruit of the tree mm-hmm. of the knowledge of good and evil. And God responded to this woman who is before him in in devastation, he, he responds by making a promise to her that one day, through her descendants, mm-hmm. there would be one who would remove the results of sin forever. We all remember Abraham and Sarah's story. Uh, Abraham had a habit of giving his wife to uh, foreign kings if mm-hmm. they wanted a night of pleasure uh, because mm-hmm. he was afraid that they would kill him because his, I mean, Sarah must have been a real looker. Mm-hmm. But here you have a picture of, of this man giving his wife to a king for one reason, and God protected Sarah. Um, especially mm-hmm. we see this very clearly in Scripture when Abraham gave her to Abimelech. But uh, we also see God protecting uh, women uh, when we see Hagar. Hagar is cast out of Abraham and Sarah's home, mm-hmm. and she is distraught. She, she leaves her. Uh, she's, she's on the run. Well, God, God sees her and appears to her, mm-hmm. and, and she, she says, wow, uh, God is the God who sees. And she mm-hmm. discovers that, uh, that, that God is a God of justice. Uh, we see the same thing with Tamar. Judah mistreats Tamar. Uh, her husband her, dies, and, and, uh, and, and the next two sons that should have uh, taken her as a wife in order to secure her inheritance among God's people, 
they sinned against her mm-hmm. and and used her as a sexual transaction, and uh, and and in that crazy story filled with brokenness, uh, God protects this woman and grafts her into the lineage of the seed that was promised to Eve, mm-hmm. the Messiah. Moses' mother is in a, a, a crazy pickle. She's got children, and Pharaoh has commanded that all Hebrew boys be killed. And mm-hmm. she just has faith, her and her husband, and God rewards that mother's faith. Uh, she even she even gets to wean her, her son. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the law, widows are to be taken care of. I, I just uh, mentioned that. Um, but when the, the people of Israel go into the land to conquer it, the first thing that happens in Jericho is Rahab, a prostitute, expresses faith in Creator God, mm-hmm. and she is grafted into the lineage of the Messiah. Ruth, a, a Moabitess, God had, had, had declared that Moabites should not even stand in the congregation mm-hmm. uh, among His people. And, and Ruth, a Moabitess, confessed faith in Creator God, and, and she was grafted into the lineage of the Messiah. At the mm-hmm. end of the Judges era, uh, in, 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 in an amazingly despicable time where it says that the people of God threw His Word behind their backs. Everyone mm-hmm. did what was right according to their own eyes. Hannah prays this amazing prayer, and Hannah is a, an, an abused woman. Her husband has married a, another woman. He's a polygamist, and, and Hannah is barren while this other woman is burying her husband's children. And and she comes before the Lord and she cries out. God answers her prayer and gives her a son, uh, Samuel. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and we get to the New Testament. Um, we see that Jesus continually valued and elevated women. Uh, if you want a, a quick example, when Jesus stops and uh, in, in, in speaks to the Samaritan woman, uh, completely mm-hmm. not uh, culturally okay, mm-hmm. but Jesus... Uh, saw this woman not as an inferior, but as a, a, a valuable um, uh, uh, um, person to uh, to call into fellowship with himself. Mm-hmm. And then you get to uh, the formation of the church, uh, and, and you look, and one of the first issues the church has is that they have a priority of feeding the widows, mm-hmm. uh, making sure all the widows and, and those that 3,000-person group got mm-hmm. fed. And, and there was trouble. There was, there was a little, little racism going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it just shows that one of the first priorities of the church uh, in their purest form of following Jesus right after they started, they were focused on defending women who had no one to provide for them. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a clear thread through Scripture and a story of God valuing and elevating women and protecting women and rescuing women. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about this this issue of uh, of abortion, you know, we went through some proof texts of here's just some some things that you can cling to, where if you if you don't know what else to say, you can go to those verses and and get a really clear understanding of where God stands this issue of abortion. Then we we went through uh, these different stories in the Bible talking about what are the what are the the larger stories that teach us something about God's character, which let us know that abortion is not part of his plan. It, it's not okay with him. And then we, we went through again and said, well, well, let's look at how God has reaffirmed that even though he declares that abortion is, is wrong, that is, is a sin, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about, about women. What we're going to do now is let's look at God's law and say, is there any text, is there any passages in, in God's laws, his commands that seem to indicate that abortion would be wrong. And I think a good way to think of this is he has laws regarding miscarriages and he has laws regarding child sacrifice. Uh, so can you uh, just explain a little bit about some of the laws around miscarriage? Absolutely. Uh, in Exodus chapter 21, uh, verses 22 to 25, uh, God actually, I think, speaks to abortion. And in this case, it's it might not be an intentional abortion, but it it could be intentional abortion. But here's what he says. He says, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, in other words, if the baby dies, Mm -hmm. if the baby's deformed, if, if there's any harm to that baby, 
then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, mm-hmm. tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me God doesn't care about the unborn child. We call them fetuses. God sees them as valuable image bearers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Exodus 23 is another another spot where, where God just... Uh, uh, it indicates about his character that his desire is for every pregnancy to come to full term. When he called his people into the promised land, he promised to bless them in a supernatural way. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't mm-hmm. wear out, the food fell from the sky, yeah. uh, it, it, water came from rocks. It was crazy, a uh, supernatural mm-hmm. time. Well, God promised them as long as they were faithful to him according to the law, mm-hmm. that he would bless bless them in supernatural ways. One of those promises of blessing, if they obeyed him, was in the area of miscarriage. God mm-hmm. promised them, if you will obey me, you'll have no miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, he, he says in Exodus 23, 25 to 26, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Now, I just want to make this point here that that uh, that that God's heart for good uh, of mankind and for our flourishing, His desire that we are fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. Uh, that that desire and that heart is displayed in that first covenant uh, in the in the law where God just flat out says, if you obey me, I'll make sure every single person lives out their days with no issues, Mm -hmm. no miscarriages. In the new covenant, we don't have that promise from God. God doesn't promise that if we obey him, there will be no sickness. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made that promise to the nation of Israel as a part of that covenant where he was he was calling them to wait on a Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it does show God's heart. Miscarriages, mm-hmm. when they happen naturally as a result of something that is going on in the body, mm-hmm. they are just a result of life outside the garden. Uh, this world is filled with brokenness and the consequences of, of sin. And part of those consequences are sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but God intends for every life uh, to to fill its mm-hmm. days. My point yeah. is that God doesn't like it when life stops yeah. in the womb, even if it's just naturally uh, in our day, naturally happening uh, for for reasons that we can't explain or know. Mm-hmm. It, 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 that's not pleasing to Him. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's it's very clear. And not only does God not desire for life to stop. Uh, in the womb. He also doesn't desire for life to stop outside of the womb. And if you've ever read through scripture, what you'll find is that in the ancient world, child sacrifice was very common. It, it simply was. In fact, it was not only common uh, as recorded in, in scripture among all the different people groups, but across nearly every single culture. Across the entire world, you can trace origins back to some form of, of human, primarily child, sacrifice. Uh, the Mayans being probably the most famous example of this, of, of literally killing tens of thousands of people as a sacrifice every single year. So you might have to wonder, well, what in the world does child sacrifice have to do with the Bible, and what does that have to do with, with abortion? Well, one of the things that we don't think of abortion as but really, if you, if you boil it down to what it actually is, is it is a form of, of child sacrifice. Now, the concept of sacrifice itself is, is not an inherently bad thing. We are commanded to make uh, sacrifices. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. The, the whole concept of sacrifice is, is basically this. If you give up something very valuable right now, you could be rewarded by something greater later on. And this is an, an important concept that all people, because we are made in the image of God, we can understand. A- animals can't understand this, but, but we can Whoa, understand it. Whoa, are it's, you kidding me? You're telling me 
that my little sweet precious yachty cannot understand this principle. I'm saying that your your dog cannot understand I'm the principle you, of sacrifice. I disagree. No. He knows. He knows that if he gives up his desire to go uh, play in the mud, that he will get to stay inside and and get. He knows that. I, I've seen your dog. He never wants to go play outside. He just wants to sleep. That's why. He doesn't want to go outside because he knows that he might not get back in. That's, I'm that's, telling you. That's not the concept of sacrifice. But, yes, uh, we all loved your dog. <laughs> no, but, but there's this idea of, like, if I, for instance, a, a, as a farmer, if I sacrifice my time and effort right now uh, to till the ground, to plant the seeds, yeah. I might get a reward in the future. It's not guaranteed that the seed will take, or that there'll be enough rain, or that the, the, the sun won't scorch it out, that it won't get eaten up by locusts. But there is a uh, this kind of future sight saying, if I give up something valuable now, I might be able to get something in the future. The problem with that is humanity, because we are so sinful, and because, honestly, we're so foolish, we took this very basic concept and we started asking ourselves, all right, well, what is, what is the most valuable thing? Uh, in the ancient world. Well, our children are our most valuable thing. So they thought, if I give up my child, if I sacrifice my child, surely that must mean that I must get the the most potential future good. So this is the world that they live in. This is the world of, of when we talk about them worshiping idols, when we talk about them passing their children through the fire. This is the abhorrent structure of sacrifice that God enters in on and immediately begins the work of undoing that detestable practice. And and one of the the clearest examples of this in all of Scripture is when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, we hear that and we think, whoa, that's crazy, that's insane. Abraham was not surprised by this question. He, he was not shocked. He was like, oh, okay, child sacrifice. This is what everyone does. So he goes up the mountain, and he brings his son along, prepared to sacrifice his child, reasoning in his mind. Well, you know, I know that even if I were to kill him, if God wants to bring him back, God can bring him back. But instead, what God does to teach this idea that, that human, that child sacrifice is wrong from the very uh, onset of Scripture is, is God clearly provides a substitutionary sacrifice. You do not have to, to kill your child. And God outlines the, the, uh, the preciousness of human life throughout all of Scripture. And what you'll see is that throughout the whole story of the Bible, whenever people started uh, veering away from God's law, child sacrifice started making its way back in. And whenever people clung to God's law, child sacrifice would, was seen for what it was, which is abhorrent and awful and detestable to the Lord. Um, the the last king of the, the southern kingdom to practice uh, child sacrifice, it was... Uh, well, the first king the, uh, yeah. was Ahaz, yes. uh, the first king in, in Judah to offer uh, child sacrifice. And it was... It's really considered the 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 end of the line of yep. rejection of of God. So, like once you start, you can do a whole lot of things, um, and and they're bad. Mm-hmm. But but the, once you you sacrifice your child, I mean, at, at that point in Ahaz's day, um, God just said, "I'm going to cut off yeah. my people." Yeah, he did. Like it's the, done. It's the hard line in the sand. And you you think today, really, you know, we discuss abortion. Everyone always wants to go to these outlying cases of well, what if it was this circumstance in this case with this way. But let's understand the, the vast majority of abortions, over 90%, when asked why they're seeking abortion, uh, 90% of the time the answer was simply this. It is an inconvenient time. Either, you know, I don't have as, enough, as much money saved up as I want. I'm not in a steady relationship. Or, you know, I just don't think I can handle being a parent. Not in a steady relationship. Yeah, that's, oh, my goodness. But that's, but what are you that, doing having a child? Those are the answers. And so the, the concept good is this gracious. is not a good time. So you go back to that concept of sacrifice. It's this idea of if I give up my child now, I might have a potential brighter future. I can have more children later on when it's more convenient. And it is, it is if you really boil it down, it is sacrificing your child on an altar. 
I'm so sorry. I'm getting upset right now. I'm getting fired up because here is a sacrifice that you can consider. What about staying out of the bedroom? Uh, you know what I mean. Sacrifice that so that you can enjoy the blessings instead of the consequences of killing another mm-hmm. life. What yeah. about that sacrifice? That's what I'm saying. Oh, you know, you know, and, and you can also think of it like this. You know, the Bible affirms <laughs> good sacrifice. A, a parent mm. sacrificing themselves for the sake of their child is a good thing. So, for instance, a, a, a father working double shifts because he wants to save a, enough money to send his kid to college, that's a worthwhile sacrifice. Immigrants that, that come to a new nation and start over from nothing to give their child a, a better chance, that is a worthy sacrifice. But when we get that backwards, and instead of sacrificing ourselves for others, laying down our lives for someone else, the, the picture and definition of love that Jesus gives, instead we fall into that trap of I'm willing to sacrifice someone else for myself. That is, make no mistake about it, child sacrifice. I am willing to sacrifice my child so that I can have a few minutes of pleasure. Mm. There's just no way to look at this issue and not come away completely disgusted. Mm. This is why those who are proponents of abortion must make the unborn child a fetus and not a child. Mm -hmm. But it's completely contrary to the biblical worldview. And, you know, I, I think, uh, just to kind of close off into this, this last section, you know, that, that is what proponents of abortion say. They try to make a human being not a human to justify abortion. And so you might say, well, well hold on, what if I'm talking to someone, or what if I myself have doubts about the Bible, or doubts that it's really God's Word? Is there an argument, is there a line of reasoning that does not rely on Scripture? And so uh, we're, I'm just going to really quickly, briefly offer up that very simple, reasonable argument, that secular argument for why abortion is wrong without relying on uh, those proof texts, without relying on the stories, without relying on everything that God has revealed about himself. Let's set it to the side. For the record, it's true, and that should be enough. So even if you're an idiot and you reject God and you reject his word, abortion is still wrong. And here's, and here's how we know. The, the question then would be, that, that fetus, is that fetus a person or not? Is it a, a, it's not even a question of if it's alive or not, because by every definition of life, of course it's alive. But the argument is this, if, if, uh, if I were to cut off my finger, uh, all the cells in that finger would, would die. That doesn't mean I'm committing genocide. So the, the question is that cluster of human cells, when does it become a, a person? And uh, people who are pro-life generally say, well, it becomes a person at the moment of conception. It becomes a new identity. Those who are uh, what they call pro-choice, saying, I have the choice to t- kill my child, um, they are the ones that say, uh, no, it's, it's not alive yet. And so the question becomes, all right, well, then at what point does this not human life, this not person, become a person. And any argument that you can make there can be easily disproven. If you say, well, it's not a person because it's too small. Are you saying that someone is more of a person the bigger they are? That's crazy. If someone's six foot compared to five foot, that doesn't mean that they have more worth and value. That's that's wrong. You can't go by age because you know a 30-year-old is not more of a person than a four-year-old. So you can't say they just haven't been around long enough. The, the two arguments that they usually stick to is either uh, their heart isn't beating on its own, uh, meaning they, they cannot continue on living without their mother's help. Of- or, or they'll say that there isn't enough brain function or activity. And, and so Can I just say when they're born, they can't keep functioning without yeah. their mother's help? Yeah, and they, then, they, they can't feed themselves. They that's can't, right. like, so what are you going to say? But, oh, well, they're not, they're not truly a human until they turn nine years old and can fix yep. dinner. Exactly. And, and are you, you kidding You me? can even think of it like this. Like imagine, imagine if I was in a car wreck. And imagine that, uh, or imagine that, imagine that I got uh, really sick and they put me on a respirator. That is a machine that is breathing for me because I'm unable to bring for myself. We don't look at people who are on respirators and say, aha, because that person isn't able to breathe for themselves, they are no longer a person and therefore we can kill them. It's, it's foolish. It's, but 
But the one argument that they do cling to is they say, well, until the brain is fully formed, they're not really alive. And here's my response to that. Is your response, well, your brain's not fully formed? That's (laughs) That's part of it. But no, that'd be my response. The simple explanation is this. Let's (laughs) let's imagine once again, I I was in a a huge, massive car wreck. All right. And let's imagine that, um, like, I'm just, I'm hooked up to so many machines, they don't even know what to make of me. And my brain is like fully, there's no brain waves, there's no activities at all. That's what they want to compare the unborn to, saying, well, they're not really alive. Look, their brain's not even functioning. Well, picture that, like literally picture me, lied up in a bed, hooked up to all those things, brain not functioning. That's a now nasty imagine, picture. But now imagine a, a doctor walks in and injects me with something and says, hey, don't worry. And in two weeks, two weeks, his brain uh, is going to start functioning. And in four weeks uh, from from the time that you find out you're, you're pregnant, in case you're trying to date these, it's four weeks after you find out you're pregnant, the heart uh, is, is going to start beating around that time. Soon he'll be able to move on his own. Soon he'll be able to, to practice breathing on his own. And in nine months, he'll be able to get out of that chair, walk out of there, fully formed, not hooked up to anything. He'll still need rehab and stuff, but he, he's going to be all right. And then imagine if my wife said, no, that's okay, let's just pull the plug. That would be murder. That, there's no other way to look. That would be murder. You, you can't look at someone and say that just because temporarily they don't have a, a functioning means that they're not allowed to live. Because if you were in that car wreck and you were in that situation, you would claim to be alive. And the people that cared about you would claim that you were alive. The problem with the, the abortion argument is for so many of the unborn, there's no one to petition for them. So when those doctors, uh, doctors, uh, and when those abortion advocates say, hey, that person isn't really alive, even though there is no logical stand to make on that. So instead, they'll, they'll throw out all these things. Oh, they're not really alive, even though by every definition they are. Oh, well, it's really about protecting women, even though that argument itself just completely goes out. They'll say they're not alive. There's not a voice for this person. They don't have an advocate. And and I just want to say, if there is a sin that is rampant in America that truly makes me fear that God will want to pass judgment on us, it is this issue right here. There is no logical argument for abortion. There's no moral argument for abortion. I don't have to stand on God's word to prove that it's wrong, but guess what? I have God's word. And so even in my own foolishness, in my foolish argument, now that I've come to the conclusion that abortion is wrong, I can also look at God's word and say, ha ha, God agrees with me. This is what the foundation is. Abortion, child sacrifice is simply wrong. And it's not that we have one or two little proof verses that we cling to and misread. It's that we have stories and we have themes and we have messages and we have God's word literally saying in the law that if you do something that causes a woman to miscarry, which, by the way, is the definition of an abortion, a forced miscarry, God demands a life for life. It's the same penalty he gives for murdering another person because it is murdering another person. All right, I got to cool off. I gotta well, I think, um, I think there's been a whole lot to chew on uh, today. We just wanted to demonstrate that uh, on any issue uh, that our culture is pushing, we can take God's word. It is fully sufficient uh, and able to equip us in every good work. Um, because it is God-breathed, every word of it, and it reveals the intentions uh, and the thoughts of our hearts. Um, but, you know, the, it, it, there, it is possible that you're listening or watching, and you have, um, you have gone through an abortion of one of your own children, or it is possible that you or a lady or a, a man who has experienced uh, miscarriage, not forced miscarriage, but, mm-hmm. but, but miscarriage, and you can't explain it. Um, we want to we just encourage you uh, that, that God 
uh, your God is the God of the Bible. And in other words, the same God that worked to defend those who could not defend themselves uh, all throughout Scripture um, is doing that same work today. And you can't, you maybe cannot find the answers to all of your why questions, uh, but uh, you can find answers to uh, explain, um, you can find answers to questions about the character of God. Mm -hmm. uh, what you really need to know is who God is. Uh, what you'll find is God is, God is good and His, and His Word is true. Uh, if you uh, need to ask God to forgive you for, uh, for having an abortion, for participating in an abortion, or for maybe arguing for abortion, um, uh, I think the, the message of the Bible is very, very clear. Uh, if, you, if you repent, if you confess your sins, God is faithful uh, to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So there is, there is hope uh, for those who want to follow the Lord and obey Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. And, and if you are, if you are a, a pro-life advocate, but you are not speaking out of love towards that person. You are doing a disservice to God because we, we got to remember, not only is God on the side of the unborn, but he also desires for every, every person who has went through that pain, who has made a bad moral choice, he desires for that person to repent, uh, to come to salvation and experience the full joy of forgiveness. So... Because we know from God's Word that God desires, He isn't just willing, He desires to forgive uh, that person. If, if you went through it, God wants to forgive you. And if you are ever speaking to someone, remember that God wants to forgive them. That's the kind of God that He is. But He, he wants to forgive the one who repents. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, you can figure out a nice way to say that what you have done is idiotic and wrong and sinful against God. But uh, realize the, dem the greatest demonstration of love that uh, we can um, uh, participate in is telling people the truth from God's Word. Um, and so uh, we hope that this helps. Uh, we simply, simply want to just say as we wrap this week's episode up uh, that, that, that God uh, has acted the same toward valuing life uh, from the very beginning, mm -hmm. and He is now. And He has prepared us for this cultural moment that we're in. We do not have to be overcome mm -hmm. or tossed uh, here and there by every new opinion or new uh, argument. Um, the story of the Bible works. Bible literacy drives everything that we do and everything that we are. Hope you have a great week. I'm Joel. I'm Jake. We'll see you again next week. It's been CBT Talks.